Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Pardes North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem. And this is our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time, we completed effectively what amounts to the first unit of Sefer Shemuel. As we saw the priesthood sidelined with Shemuel's ascent, Eli fades from the scene, and Shemuel is now regarded as a true prophet of God. But the cataclysmic end of Shiloh does not occur until this chapter. The word of God came to Shemuel and the people of Israel went out to battle the Philistines. They encamped at Evan Haezer and the Philistines encamped at Afek. Afek is located in what is today northern Tel Aviv. The Philistines were a coastal people, originally hailing from the western Mediterranean, from the island of Crete or farther afield the agency, and they landed on the shores of our Mediterranean sometime in the 13th century BCE. Repelled by the pharaohs in Egypt, they set themselves up on the coast of the land of Canaan, ultimately creating a confederacy of five towns, the Pentapolis, consisting of Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gat, and Ekron. The Philistines were technologically ahead of their Israelite counterparts. They were culturally more advanced. And as they landed on the Mediterranean coast and settled, they began to move inland, expanding into the hill country. Of course, the Israelite tribes had arrived themselves in the land around the same time coming from the east, crossing over the Jordan River, and slowly infiltrating into the hill country and settling it. As the Philistines expanded eastwards towards the hill country, the Israelite tribes expanded westwards towards the coast. It was inevitable that the two groups would eventually meet, and when they did, it was a clash. Much of the book of Judges is taken up with the Philistines as one of the prominent foes of the Israelite tribes who are often divided and in disarray. By the time the book of Judges ends, the Philistines are increasing their influence and becoming a regional force. And with the opening of the book of Shemuel, their power now increases. They begin to press the Israelite tribes and to oppress them. By the way, the modern word Palestine is derived from the Philistines, but indirectly. More than a thousand years after the events of our chapter, the Romans will destroy the second temple and the Jewish commonwealth. 
Sometime later, a revolt will break out against Roman rule, led by a charismatic leader known as Bar Kochva, Shimon, son of Kosba, nicknamed Bar Kochva, son of the shooting star. But the revolt will be put down with great brutality. And the countryside of Judea will be completely destroyed. Emperor Hadrian, in order to commemorate his victory and in order to finally break the link between the Jewish people and their land, will rename the province Syria-Palestina. And it is that name that will stick. But there are no Philistines when Hadrian renames it Palestine. He recalls the ancient foes of the Israelites and chooses a name that speaks to the Israelites' overthrow. And so the land of Judea now becomes the land of Palestina, a name that will remain until the dawn of the state of Israel. But it is not a name that really links Palestine with the Philistines, but rather is a name that speaks to the delinking of the Jewish people with the land of Israel. In any case, the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites now takes place, and the Israelites are handily defeated, losing 4,000 men. They re return to camp dejected. The elders of Israel ask the question that begs to be asked in verse number three. Lama negafanu Hashem lifnei pelishtim. Why has God brought us defeat before the Philistines? It is a classic biblical question. In the Tanakh, of course, there are no accidents. If there is drought, that points to divine displeasure. If the Israelites are defeated in battle, that indicates that God is upset and some course of teshuvah must be initiated. While the elders ask the right question for the moment, their response is completely misguided. Nikha elenu mishilo, let us take for ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, such that he might come in our midst and save us from the clutches of our enemies. The elders of Israel, recognizing that the Israelites have been defeated, turn to the Ark of the Lord as their salvation, and it is quickly summoned from Shiloh, borne by none other than Chofni and Pinchas, the sons of Eli. But here our translations fail us. Often this phrase is translated, we will take the Ark, of the covenant, and he will come in our midst via vobikirbenu, and he will save us from the clutches of our enemies. The he, of course, referring to God. The understanding that the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of his presence in the material world. But actually, in the original Hebrew, the pronoun is indefinite. Recall that in Hebrew, nouns and pronouns cannot be genderless. Either they are masculine or they are feminine. There is no neutral pronoun in Hebrew that could speak to 
it a non-gender noun or pronoun. But in fact, that perhaps is the best translation. Let us take for ourselves the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord via Vobik not that He, God, will come into our midst, but that it will come into our midst, that it will save us from our enemies. And effectively, the elders of Israel, almost like Chofni and Pinchas themselves, are now guilty of the crime of idolatry, having placed their trust in an object in a charm as a bestower of victory. If only we have the ark in our midst, victory is assured, even if we don't do any of the hard work associated with changing our behaviors or changing our attitudes or all the things associated with a proper tshuva process. So the elders have asked the right question, why have we been defeated? But the answer should have been because we have to improve our behavior, because we have to be more moral and more righteous and more just and more devoted to God. But the elders take the easy route. We will take the Ark of the Covenant and that object by virtue of itself will bestow victory and triumph upon us. And now the ark is brought into battle. When the people of Israel see it, they cry out with a great shout and the very earth shakes. When the Philistines hear the outcry and they realize that the ark has been brought into the camp, they begin to quake with fear. Verse number seven, Ba Elohim el God, or actually, the gods have entered the camp. Woe to us! Who will save us from these mighty gods? Verse number eight. The gods that struck down the Egyptians. Interestingly enough, in the original Hebrew, the verbs and the adjectives are phrased in the plural. Who will save us? Miyad ha Elohim ha Adirim ha These mighty gods in the plural. Elohim ha Elohim. These are the gods that struck down the Egyptians. This is the Tanakh's attempt to capture the Philistines' polytheistic understanding of the world. The Israelites may worship one God, but for the Philistines, that is incomprehensible. They see the Ark of the Covenant and they understand that the Israelite gods have entered the fray. So effectively, we have this ironic situation where both the Israelites as well as the Philistines, as it were, are looking at the situation through idolatrous eyes. The Israelites pin their hopes on the Ark of the Covenant as some sort of object in its own right that can bring victory. The Philistines look at the situation as if the gods are now arrayed against them. Gathering their confidence, the Philistines fight and the people of Israel are defeated. 30,000 fighters die. Verse 11 reports unbelievably, Va'aron Elohim nilkach, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by them, the Ark of God. 
and the two sons of Eli, Chofni and Pinchas, die. So astonishingly, as it were, God allows his ark, the most precious object in ancient Israel, the symbol of his presence in the world, to be seized by the Philistines in battle. As if to say, the people of Israel who could not separate between the object and the symbol and the God that they are devoted to do not deserve to have this thing, this Ark of the Covenant in their midst until they learn a fundamental lesson that God is not in the Ark, that the Ark is not a God, and that ultimately what is required in a moment of defeat is reflection and internalization and a questioning of what moral and religious failures lead to that moment. In the meantime, Eli waits expectantly at Shiloh. The messenger arrives, a Benjaminite bearing the news. Eli can no longer see, he is already completely blind, but he hears the tumult. And eventually the messenger makes his way with his report, which he now offers in climactic fashion. The people of Israel have been routed by the Philistines. A great plague has befallen the people. Your two sons, Chofni Ufinchas, are dead, and the ark of the Lord has been taken. And of course, the most devastating piece of news is saved for the end. And in fact, when he mentions the ark of the Lord, Eli falls backwards off of his chair, breaking his neck and dying. And he had judged the people of Israel for 40 years. But the tragedy continues. The wife of Pinchas, who had been pregnant, receives the news that the ark of the Lord had been taken, that her father-in-law and husband are dead. And she goes into premature labor. And it is a premature labor which is lethal. Even as she is dying, those that attend her report, do not fear, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or react in any way. That child was called Ikavod. Glory has been taken. Glory has been exiled from Israel. Because the ark of the Lord is no more and her father-in-law and husband are dead. Gala kavod mi Yisrael, the glory has been exiled from Israel because the ark of the Lord has been taken. Of course, the scene of the death in childbirth of the wife of Pinchas recalls the story in Genesis chapter 35 concerning the death in childbirth of Rachel Imenu. And in that respect, it's very similar. Even as she is dying, the midwife reports, you have given birth to a son. But here the stories diverge. 
Because in the Rachel version, even as she is dying, she bestows a name on that child, Ben-Oni, the son of my affliction, almost like Ikavod, the glory has been taken. But in Genesis, Jacob quickly turns the story in a more positive and redeeming direction. Ve'aviv karalo binyamin, but his father called him Binyamin, the son of my might, of my right hand. So even as Rachel dies tragically, there will be hope for the future with the birth of this child. But in our version of the story, when the wife of Pinchas perishes, the name is bestowed, Ikavod. And with that Ikavod bestowal, the story will come to its sorry end. The glory has been exiled from Israel because the Ark of the Lord has been taken. It is not reported in our chapter, but what surely must have followed was the destruction of Shiloh by the Philistines. And in fact, that sorry conclusion is not reported in Sefer Shemuel, but is mentioned in the book of Tehillim in the book of Psalms in chapter 78. Chapter 78 is a lengthy treatment of the history of the people of Israel. The author is Asaf, one of the Levites, and he will recall the events concerning the descent to Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, the love and the compassion that God bestows on the people of Israel and how they continue to betray him. Eventually, the people of Israel are brought to the land. He brought them to his holy realm, verse number 54 of chapter 78, the mountain his right hand had acquired. The people of Israel are brought into the land. He expelled the nations before them. He settled the tribes of Israel in their tents and he allotted them their portion by the line, as it were, the book of Joshua in two verses, the story of the people of Israel entering the land and settling it. Yet they defiantly tested God most high, did not observe his decrees. They fell away disloyal like their fathers. They played false like a treacherous bow. They vexed him with their high places. They incensed him with their idols. Three verses, as it were, that capture the book of Judges. God heard it and was enraged. He utterly rejected Israel. He forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had set among men, and he let his might, his ark, go into captivity, his glory into the hands of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword. He was enraged at his very own. Fire consumed their young men. Their maidens remained unwed. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows could not weep. Essentially, what is described is the overrunning of Shiloh and the killing of the Israelites, the destruction of the tabernacle, even as the ark is taken captive. But chapter 78 continues. The Lord awoke us from sleep like a warrior shaking off wine. He beat back his foes, dealing them lasting disgrace. He rejected the clan of Yosef and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose the tribe of Yehuda, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built a sanctuary like the heavens, like the earth that he established forever, choosing David, his servant, and taking him from the sheepfolds. 
to tend his people Jacob, his very own. Effectively, this is a political interpretation of the events associated with the destruction of Shiloh. It wasn't simply the end of the national shrine, but also the end of Ephraimite ascendancy as a preeminent tribe. Shiloh is located in the tribe of Ephraim. With the destruction of Shiloh, Ephraim's power comes to an end, and now it is the tribe of Yehudah's turn to achieve prominence. As the Zalter puts it, David was chosen, Jerusalem was established, and the temple will be built. So in this more optimistic vision, even as Shiloh is destroyed, and we mark that destruction and mourn it, we also realize that the temple and the Davidic line have, as it were, redeemed the people of Israel from that place of misery. Next time, we'll consider another couple of aspects associated with the destruction of Shiloh before we follow the fascinating story of the Ark captured by the Philistines. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Quorum Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.